0: Hey everybody, it's Bob McCarthy. Hey there, I'm Robert Scoville. Hey everybody, it's Ken Pooch Van Druden here. Be looking forward to seeing you at Nathan's next uh, Live Summit. And I am looking really forward to joining my good buddy Nathan Lively, (coughs) along with seeing all of you at this year's Live Sound Summit. Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the next Live Sound Summit. Got a lot of things to talk about. Holy shit, we got a lot of things to talk about. This whole social distancing thing. World's upside down and inside out. Kind of lonely here in the old audio lab, so... You know, there's been plenty of time to think about all the audio concepts that I might want to share and explore during this year's Summit. We'll talk sound systems, consoles and plugins and all kinds of things related to live sound. Uh, whatever comes
1: up. I'll be happy
0: to see you. We'll see you there. I hope to see you there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so
1: we'll see you soon. Learn more about Live Sound Summit 2020 at livesoundsummit2020.sounddesignlive.com Sound Design. Live. Speakers, no matter what you do to them, are never going to be quote unquote flat. Sound design. Sound design live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, I think I am prepared. Okay, so you've started your recording. Yes. I have started my recording. We are professionals. <laughs> So, (laughs) welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by sound designer for Broken Cord and project design manager for Sound Associates, Philip Peglow. When I called you last week to pitch this interview to you, you answered the phone and I said, how's it going? And you said, the world's on
0: fire at the moment.
1: You said, do you remember what you said after that? No. <laughs> that was a that was a heady day actually. You said, I just got laid off all my jobs. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be a tough first conversation with this person. <laughs> this is a bad time to call. Um but but this is what's what's going on right now. So I thought, you know, before we get into everything else and and the fun stuff about talking about audio and career stuff that we Normally do on this show. I thought it'd be good to not ignore what's going on in our lives. So, um, so tell me what happened a week ago. That day we were on the phone, you said I just got laid off from all of my jobs. What does that mean?
0: That was uh, that was exactly a week ago today, and uh, the day before the uh, coronavirus COVID nineteen that. Uh, that we are currently undergoing the, the pandemic, uh, shelter in place, everybody stay home, social distancing, uh, thing, uh, hit New York, uh, theater, the New York theater community and pretty much all theater and live entertainment community at large when, uh, New York State decided to shut down all gatherings of 500 people or more shortly followed by, um, some weird rules saying like whatever capacity venue you have, you have to have it uh, at half capacity for performances and people need to stay six feet away from each other and all that. And, you know, the the way that the razor thin margins that that any live entertainment venue or uh, operation goes under that, you know, you just can't afford to put on a show with half of the people there um, and people in their rightfully so. Uh, you know, who wants to go out and expose themselves? Um, it was kind of, it was really, uh, it was really a surreal evening because, uh, I was working on, uh, loading in a, a Broadway show. We were having quiet time that evening. And so the word came down about three o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon that everybody as of five o'clock was, uh, shut down. And the big question was, are we still going to have quiet time tonight? Ultimately, the answer was yes. And so for uh, about four hours, you know, the the eight of us in that building were the only Broadway stagehands and Broadway personnel working at the time, which was really surreal for a Thursday night in March. Now, consequently, because of that... Um, you know, my 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 life kind of intersects. You mentioned earlier that, you know, my life intersects between sound design and, and, and working for Sound Associates. Um Sound Associates derives one hundred percent of its income from the performing arts. And at that moment everybody stopped paying their bills at that exact moment. And so for the benefit of all involved, all employees and everyone, Sound Associates said we're stopping work effective immediately. So that people can go and file for, uh, for unemployment. Um, it was a rather shrewd move, I think, on the, on the behalf of sound associates to do that. And I think on the behalf of, of everybody who was, who was currently employing people in the industries that were affected. Um, because, you know, what help they might be able to, to provide in the in the short term probably is outweighed by the longer term of the government's uh security, social security net that uh, that uh the current administration is trying to gut as well as they can everybody is pretty much out of work at the moment and uh it's it's rather devastating because it's not like we make a ton of money to begin with but to take what stability that you do have in your day-to-day life and kind of up in that and say well you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, Broadway hasn't shut down like this since 2000, uh, since September 11th, uh, mm-hmm. since 9-11.
1: I was thinking about that. I was in New York in school when that happened and, um, everything shut down. The big difference was there. I, I feel like there was a short time after that, maybe only a couple of weeks, when, you know, a lot of celebrities and politicians were imploring people to start going out again. Please participate. Please go to shows. Please go to restaurants. And this is the opposite of that. This
0: is the exact opposite of that. And I keep saying Broadway just because that was the theater that I happened to be in at that moment. But, you know, this affects everybody in the entertainment industry. Everybody. And it also has a trickle uh, sideways and up and down effect of of uh, affecting, you know, restaurants and parking decks, and you know, it's it, it's just such a far-ranging problem right now at the moment that uh, that it's kind of uh, selfish to just think about oneself when it's really it's really the service industries are just decimated. There's so many. It's so far-ranging.
1: How long can you go without working? What are you thinking about doing in the next couple of months? Have you gotten any word from any of your clients or employers saying, hey, this is temporary in one month, well, I'll be back at work. And so you're thinking, it's okay, I have one month of money i should be fine like what what's kind of going on in your head i am still working for
0: sound associates at the moment it is kind of a deferred pay situation we also have a uh a installation division and so right now we have four or five uh installations that uh surprisingly have not been halted at the moment um in fact, uh, our New York ones are going strong. Our Connecticut ones are going strong. And, and the one, the biggest one that we have right now in Florida, they just stopped work until the end of the month yesterday.
1: So um, and that's happening because you don't need to congregate with more than 10 people or whatever to get the work done. Um, correct.
0: Yeah. And and. I can do the vast majority of that particular job duty, uh, from pretty much anywhere I have a laptop and an internet connection. The larger issue of what am I gonna do is buffeted by the fact that, you know, for, for many years we have, uh, worked very hard, my wife and I, um, to you know, set up the rainy day account. Uh, fortunately, my wife is also currently full time employed by her employer working from home. Okay. And so we do have uh, enough money coming in to eat uh, mm-hmm. until bread lines, you know, start and loaves of bread are $6,000. Um, mm-hmm. We do have enough money to eat. We do have enough money to pay our mortgage. Um, we don't carry. Aside from student loans, we don't carry a lot of debt otherwise. It's not as concerning for, for us as a family, um, as it may be for the people who don't, um, have those resources behind them. Especially, you know, um, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of single people, uh, on Facebook that, uh, live alone and, uh, are freelancers, uh, that make their, their living Day to day, and uh, and are legitimately freaking out, and that is worldwide. That is not just in New York. That's not just in the United States. It's worldwide. When Thursday, last Thursday happened, and Friday morning you called, I, I was speaking with my mother shortly
1: after that, and she said, "Have you considered becoming a truck driver? I hear that <laughs> I a real hard, real hard <laughs> I time." I think this is these are real questions that people are having, like. Oh, this is what happens. Like maybe I should go into a different career so the next time there's an emergency like I don't know, I can just work from home or I don't know, like I sell books, I don't know, like alternatives. I think these I think people are going to start asking this.
0: Yeah, and and right, rightfully so, I think. You know, um because we don't know what a post COVID 19 virus environment is going to look like because we're still just starting to experience it. And there's tons of conspiracy theories online and all that jazz, but, but we just don't know. And because, because all of our webs are so inter, intertwined, you know, we don't know what this is going to look like when our industry, our live events, our, our, you know, performative based events are going to return to quote unquote normal or what that will be. And unfortunately, I have put <laughs> a ton of eggs in this, you know, this, this, this industry basket short of going back to school to get some sort of other accreditation that I'm not even remotely interested in. You know, I don't
1: know what the answer is. I, um, I don't know. So at this point, you're not thinking, let me think about a career change. But we might have to check in in a couple of months and see where we're at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and again, not, I have not spent a lot of time on it because I have been in this
1: industry for pretty much most of my life. That sure. That, I mean, the question came up in my mind and I just immediately pushed it out because I was like, no, no. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what else can I do? Um, And I don't want to leave people on a down note. I just wanted to, I guess, like point out that both you and I have had these questions come up in our mind. Absolutely. We don't we don't know the answers, but I think, you know, it's we're all kind of like just wondering what's going to happen. Well, Philip, we've had we have recognized that the world's on fire. It is. Um, And I think we can move on to talking about audio now. Cool. So, Philip, I definitely want to talk to you about your sound design work, working with broken cord, um, sound system design and optimization stuff. But before we do that, I'd love to know, when you get a new system installed and calibrated in a theater, for example, um, and you want to give it a test drive, what's maybe one of the first pieces of music that you like to listen to? Money for Nothing by Dire Streets.
0: Possibly followed up quickly, very quickly, if not preceded by uh, Paul Simon's Graceland.
1: Philip, how'd you get your first job in audio? Like, what was your first paying gig? Uh, Summer Theater
0: Academy for kids. Teach them, teach them, you know, all about theater. <laughs> then I discovered that they had a, a portable... Mixing self-powered amplified console, a PV, PV something or something, something or other. Uh And, you know, when people needed to talk into microphones to be heard, I was like, oh, I'll set up the sound system. Zero formal training, probably, you know, plugging 16-ohm speakers into 8-ohm amps and, you know, just making all of the mistakes. And I was, I was affiliated with that theater uh, for much of my childhood. In high school, I had purchased a, a small PA and was kind of, you know, doing this ru- very rudimentary PA rental thing, running around setting up bands and whatnot. Um, the music, the music scene uh, in the '90s in Little Rock, Arkansas, was incredibly vibrant, incredibly rich. Uh, the summer of 1993, uh, I had been, I had been. Uh, performing and acting and doing a whole bunch of stuff with a, a theater group uh, that did not have a permanent home, and we kind of we kind of hung out where space was available, mostly in uh, the the sanctuary of a Unitarian Universalist church in Little Rock. Uh, we did a couple shows in some uh, in some temples. Um, I was basically, catch as catch can, kind of circulating around a core group of people, and uh, the, the the core the core person of that uh, that group. And he threw a script in my lap, um, and he said, "We're going to build a theater." Whoa! And I said, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're, we're going to build a theater." In the fall of that year, started building, and another one of those, you know, do it all things. I worked on the s- the stage. I worked on the plumbing. Worked on you know everything, but the sound system came down to me. And uh, ultimately, the sound design of the first X number of shows came down to me, you know, and that, that was probably on, on mini disc or, yeah, it was mini disc at that point.
1: Do you feel like it's because of all that stuff that you have ha- gotten to work on all the cool projects you've gotten and you've gotten to this place in your career? Do you see other people next to you on the job site who have had completely different uh, experience. So I guess the question is here, does everyone have to go to Yale to be uh, successful in this industry?
0: Oh, absolutely not. In this environment, I would tremendously suggest um, that unless you have that opportunity at at zero debt to you, um, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at all. knowing knowing what I know now, um, you know, if you are passionate about the craft and you really want to get into this business, and you are sitting around going, you know, what do I do? Either I would, you know, stay local if you have a scene that supports that, where you can kind of hone your craft, and then... Look at it and say, you know, where should I go from here? If you're really, 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 really want to be on Broadway, then you must move to New York City. You know, you must do it. It's not an option. And there's enough of a a, a network out there that can sustain that. Now, if I were to talk to, you know, 22 year old Philip Peglo today and say, this is what you should do, kid, I don't know that I would, that I would change the path, you know, I don't know if I would tell myself to do something different. Um, it certainly seems to have worked out okay. There are tons of other paths. You know, you can move to New York and go into the, the freelancing, the off Broadway, the off, off Broadway scene, the off Broadway the scene, the scene. There's actually a really big dearth of talent, um, in those two respective scenes. Also a big dearth of, of pay and work your way up. And if you, and it, and you can do that without going into tremendous debt. You know, you might go into debt because you're trying to make a living in New York City or Chicago or, you know, any other major theater major theater town. Um, you know, it's but there I don't think that there is a requirement to go any into any specific training program or any specific stratified, you know, this is what you do. I think that that there is enough regional theater in the United States that does tremendous work Uh, There's enough community theater in the United States that does tremendous work. There's enough, you know, there are enough resources out there um, that you can actually yourself forward and try and figure out whether or not it's something you want to do. Nobody I know. I mean, I haven't turned in a resume to anybody in 15 years. You know, (laughs) I haven't. Nobody, nobody, unless they know, knows that I have a degree, the degrees that I do from where I came from, they only know me as me and the work that I do. And if that work is good, then they're going to hire you. If it's not good,
1: they're not going to hire you. So, Philip, eight years ago, I interviewed your partners in Broken Court. Oh, man, can you believe this podcast has been around for eight years? Yeah, that was number five. I actually, <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually listened to it. And one of the things that absolutely struck me
0: about it was that aside from the show that you were talking about, you can go back and listen to that podcast right now. And every single thing that they said is still true.
1: Oh man, every, I don't even remember everything that we talked every about. Every single it's okay. it's, it's Very co- cool.
0: well, you know, you were you were uh, you 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 asked a lot of questions about um, about what's it like, you know, working as a collective and how do theaters and people get along with that, and and they were like, well, we're training we're training institutions and we're training directors, you know, how to, how to think about, you know, this, and it's still, the training's still going on. It's still, <laughs> it's still, uh, okay. industry, uh, industry places don't know what to do with us. They just absolutely don't know what to do with us. Uh, we just basically had uh, a job interview with a producer uh, a couple of weeks ago that you, we could have just walked in, put down that podcast and press play and not said a word for the rest of the, for the rest of the interview.
1: So, if people want to hear that interview, they can go back eight years and and check out episode number five of the Sound Design Live podcast with Aaron, Mike, and Daniel Baker. That was after I saw their sound design for the Pulitzer Prize winning play "Ruined" at Berkeley Rep. Very cool. Connecting that now to the next step: How did you get the job at Sound Associates?
0: Ha! As in all things in this industry, you know it's a very fluid thing, and it's and it is going back to what we were talking about earlier about meritocracy versus you know networking, you know consulting at the, uh, the, the actually being more, a bigger part of broken cord, uh, caused a lot of strife with my, with my employer to the point that they made some unreasonable demands and our relationship soured and my, and you're
1: like, my it's time for a change.
0: Yeah. And my relationship with consulting had, had now I, I'd gotten over the, the wide eyed part of that, And it it was now a job, and it was now something that I was extremely competent and confident in. when you go into these buildings that are costing a quarter of a billion dollars to build, and the architect, who is far more famous than any one of us will ever be, and you say, listen, this is what we need. Well, why? This is why. This is how theater operates. Well, we're trying to create a new paradigm in theater. I can't tell you how many times I heard that kind of language from people. Oh, wow. Like,
1: and, and I'm guessing that new paradigm um, doesn't make the physics of audio any different.
0: Doesn't make the physics of theater any different, you know. Damn, man. And much like when I had gotten out of theater, you know, the 12 years prior or whatever, I got a call saying, hey, here you're looking to change change directions finally, I forget what it was, but one day I was at home and I got a call and they're like, hey, <laughs> and it was Peter, the owner of the company, one of the owners of the company is like being be in the shop on Monday. I was like, oh, OK, cool. And, and that's uh, that's kind of how it started. Um, ironically enough. Because of the timing of the situation, when they called, we were like, I don't know, two weeks out of going to Anaheim for for a couple of months to do uh, the, the Frozen in the park there mm-hmm.
1: in Anaheim.
0: And so I went in and I was like, guys, remember when we had this talk and I said, you know, here's my schedule. Well, I've got this show coming up that I'm going to be gone for two months. And they're like, okay, are you coming back? And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. And they're like, fine see you when you get back so I went in to work for sound associates for like a week that's so funny (laughs) like a week and then I said bye and I got back two months later and they're like all right here's your desk here's your computer that's how the that's how the sound associates uh, thing came about
1: Philip, I want to talk to you about sound system design and optimization. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making out there related to sound system calibration? Over-equalization of sound systems. Okay, and, and what, is, what does that mean? What is over-EQing? Like are, do you hear it and you're like, oh, I know they over-EQed it, or do you like see the work that you did, they did and you're like, oh, you micromanaged the hell out of it? What? So what does over-EQing mean? People like to get
0: their fuzzy lines on whatever uh, system optimization tool that they use in front of them. They interpret the data in a way that is detrimental to the sound system's
1: sound. Um, That's interesting. So tell me about the interpretation. Like, what what is going on uh, in... Getting the data and making the decision that you think is leading to over equalization,
0: uh, miseducation. I, I think that I think that people are handed tools that you know that they don't necessarily uh, understand. Uh, you know, it's like it's like giving a sixteen-year-old a Lamborghini in some instances. <laughs> um, it's really, really super easy to make an FFT look flat in a, in smart or Spectrefoo or Sim or, you know, whatever your whatever it's really easy to do that. But you also have to use your ears and so say, wow, why, why does this, why does it look flat on the analyzer? But it sounds like crap in the, in the room. Okay. Um, and I, I recently had an experience, uh, where I went into see a concert of, uh, of one of my, favorite bands in the world, in a room that I know sounds spectacular. With what a, band? With a, uh, the drive-by truckers.
1: You wanna grow up to paint houses like me, a trailer in my yard to you 23. Wanna...
0: I've heard the truckers a billion times, and everywhere from tiny, tiny, tiny little crap dive bars to, you know, to big huge theaters. And, uh, and I went into this room excited because not only do I know the room, I know the rig, I know who tuned the rig, I know, you know, every, and I was just like, wow. And I've heard, I've heard an intimate relationship with the sound. Yeah. I know Uh that this show is going to sound rocking. And it sounded absolutely horrible. I
1: don't know. What
0: happened? And I was curious as to what happened. I went to front of house, and I was kind of, you know, over the shoulder of the front he of said, house.
1: get out of the way. I'm Philip Peglow. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> that,
0: that never, ever, ever works well. Um, <laughs> looking at his G-E-Q...
1: Yes. Yeah, baby. Yes. And
0: it it was just like, and and he had had Smart open and he had his GEQ and it just, it was just, oh, it was so, yeah, it was very infuriating. And it sounded so bad in a room, in a room that by itself, you just walk in and plug in and
1: just don't do anything to the system. Sounds amazing. Um, I don't want that to happen to me. So teach me how to make good decisions. How do I make good EQ decisions? So if we're thinking of a spectrum, where way over here is like uh, over EQing and hacking a GEQ to death, and over here uh, is maybe doing nothing, which might be the right choice. And can you give me some guidelines about that? Using
0: your ears first is probably the best piece of advice that I can give. Like before you put pink noise through anything, go in and play some something that you're intimately. Absolutely intimately familiar with and, and, and start there. You know, I'm going to quote, uh, Jamie Anderson, who's one of the owners of Rational Acoustic Smart and say, you know, if you're making anything more than a six dB cut, it's probably time to reevaluate your decisions. You know, if you're going that deep on something, um, maybe, maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Um, if you're making a lot of super narrow, like a GEQ. Um, first of all, don't ever use a G. Don't ever use a GEQ. <laughs> Just Put that don't thing in the do <laughs> with with all with all with all due respect to Dave Rat. Don't use a GEQ. I mean, I I mean, I understand his his philosophy behind it, and I can totally get behind that. Um, but uh, but if you're do- if you're doing you know big 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 system stuff, if you're making narrow 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 cuts, uh, you're probably tuning. Or, or, or trying to optimize for a very specific point in the room <laughs> that, that has no bearing on three or four inches away from that position.
1: If you were sort of to kind of write down your philosophy, it sounds like so far it would include definitely start with listening to content to see what direction you're going to go in before you look at anything on a screen and, and second, there's just some guidelines that you keep in mind about inserting filters, which are, you know, filters should not be very deep. So you were talking about um, 60 dB, and they should also not be very narrow, right? So what else?
0: The speakers, no matter what you do to them, are never going to be quote unquote, flat. It doesn't play well with physics. You have to understand that the ideal is making stuff sound good for everybody. That is the ideal. and And what the analyzer says should not drive uh, should not be the driving force behind your decisions
1: interesting. So if the analyzer is not a machine, to make the sound system flat and make the sound system good, then what's what's it for? It's for giving you data
0: to to to
1: verify what your head thinks. It, it it
0: can give you confirmation that hey, I'm not crazy. And hopefully, you know, I typically deploy as many microphones as I possibly can, not because I'm not because it looks cool or we love moving tons of microphones all over the place. But it does look cool. Um, it may, it, yeah. <laughs> it did, it did when it does when you first start out. And then when you walk into a room and you're just like, Oh my God, there's so many, Oh, the pain, what? the pain, you know, complexity. I, I do it. I do it so that I can address tons of different areas within rooms without having to move microphones. You know, rational acoustics did a study, uh, with some absurd number of References and whatnot, and said that you know ultimately the number is three. You need three measurements.
1: Okay, so the analyzer—it sounds to me—for is actually a research tool, and it's supporting all of your other tools, including your ears, not replacing them.
0: Yeah, the ears, the ears and the brain, I think are the are the two primary tools. Uh, the analyzer is is the supporting research data gathering part of aspect of that. Um, uh because you cannot be in more than one place at one time you can't do it you're never ever ever going to beat the room ever you're never going to outsmart the room uh quite literally uh the room is the room and you are just an inhabitant of it and if uh if you walk into a place with a with a with a house guy and the house guy says this is what you should do listen to them and if they say, you know, you're going to get to this SPL level and you're now going to lose the room, listen to them. Because it's a very real thing that that hopefully a competent uh, house guy already knows their space very well. And when they tell you, hey, this is what's going to happen, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's probably going to happen. So, um Trying to punch your way through with EQ or with you know uh, or or level or
1: something is is really a fool's errand. This is really helpful because if I came into this conversation with the assumption that um, a, I always have to eQ and B, um, I have to deliver flat as as it looks on the graphic interface of my audio analyzer, then now I've learned two things from you, which are, so I don't always have to eQ. In fact, many times it might be better to do nothing. And, and that would be a better result than over-EQing. And number two, I don't always have to rely on my audio analyzer and get this flat result. In fact, I should stay away from that and I should put a heavier emphasis on um, making decisions with my ears that sound good and then using the analyzer really to back that up and and as a research. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The concept of tuning a sound system, I think, is kind of a misnomer. It's not tuning a sound system. It's 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 opt- well, sometimes it's out of
1: pitch, so you have to tune it. Well, up. Well, yeah,
0: exactly. It's 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 kind of <laughs> it's it's you know it's it's a complex process, and you can get it wrong, and you can get it real wrong uh, to the detriment of of your of what you're trying to achieve. And and I am still very much a student. Every time I go to to calibrate a system, I am learning something new every single time. I still even
1: you even Philip I'm still...
0: this is going to really make some people uh, out there angry. But if I have five minutes. I'm already angry and I don't (laughs) even know
1: what you're going to say yet.
0: If I walk into a typical theater style system with bunches and bunches of speakers and delay zones and all of that stuff. And I've only got five minutes to get it going. I'm going to delay the system before I do anything else. Now, now most other people will tell you, oh, EQ, then delay, EQ, then delay, EQ, then delay, because the EQ that you're doing may add delay to blah, 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 whatever. That's fine. That's great. Except that it sounds really, really, really crappy when your speaker is greatly EQ'd, but you're 45 milliseconds off the time of the mains. You know the Bob McCarthy, Jamie Anderson kind of order of operations stands absolutely. EQ then delay, EQ then delay, EQ. You know, but if you've only got five minutes, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna head straight for the delays. I I've seen people who don't verify the system. What to begin with,
1: you know, and that's s- crazy. And so, what is an unverified, unverified system? What's what's wrong with that? What problems can pop up
0: in the modern day of line arrays? If you haven't verified your system, uh, you can have a cable connecting two array elements that's
1: out out of polarity. Well, what? But how would I even find that? How do I verify polarity in a line array? It's way up there. It's a bunch of boxes. How do I do that? Well, in the perfect
0: world, each box is on its own circuit. That's very, 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 very rarely the case, if ever. If you've got a DNB, you know, if you've got a DNB thing doing uh, doing array processing. You're in good shape. As a consultant, if I'm going in to, to to finalize and punch list and calibrate a system, I've got the time, and I'm going to put a microphone in front of every single element in that room and make sure that every single one of them is. So are you uh, bringing it down right? to you? Or are you going up in a lift? Uh, it depends. If uh, it depends. If if the if the if the systems are able to be brought down, yes, we're going down. If if uh, they're not. Uh, particularly in, in line arrays, uh, then yes, you have to, you have to go up. Um, in point and shoot boxes and point sources, you know, it's a, it's a bit easier because because uh, you're not working with 50,000 drivers all packed
1: into a, a small space. So you can, you know, sit on the floor and put your mic out and see. all right. If I can solo each box by itself, then I could potentially do that without going up in the air, like just a microphone on the ground, as long as I can still get good signal noise ratio. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go up in the air or bring the array down to me so that I can actually get my microphone in front, close enough to each box to like get isolation and just get a measurement from that box. Yes. What does one box that does not have matching polarity with the rest of the array look like on my analyzer when I measure the entire array? Like, if I listen to left side and right side, they sound different. Is that also how you find a, a problem? You measure the left, uh, you measure... If you have symmetrical arrays, you measure one array, then you measure the other, and they should measure about the same. And you're looking at the phase trace, or, or what was it that tipped you off in that occasion? I think you said you looked, you heard there was a problem, and you looked at the measurement, and you said there's something going on with the phase trace. Like, can you talk about how to to find that? Because I'd also like to get better at this.
0: Sure. Um, well, your coherence. Uh, if you're in a symmetrical room uh which at that point I was not in this in this particular instance that we were, it was not a symmetrical room but if you're in a symmetrical room with symmetrical arrays uh symmetrical you know all things all things supposedly being equal and you put a microphone dead in the center and you measure the left and it looks a certain way and you measure the right and it looks completely different or not even completely different but what tipped me off in this instance was my was what I heard but also that the coherence in the low mids was wackadoo, was just totally, totally wackadoo. And the high, the coherence, coherence is a very good tool, but the coherence was also kind of really scattershot. Um, and as I moved the microphone through the, the coverage zones of the array, I could watch on the analyzer, we get into the, the bottom part of the array and everything's great. It's perfect crystal clear we're close we're up close we're in the near field we're cool we're cool we start going out the coherence gets a little funky but wait a second just things i just got right here and everything just nosedived you keep on moving back and oh my gosh the coherence and the phase the phase trace looks more like the front than it did in the back you know let's go back to this place where things just got wackadoo where we walked our microphone into this really strange place and is that acoustics it doesn't look that way because, you know, acoustics probably aren't going to affect your, your phase trace to quite that degree that, a, that a misaligned driver will instantly go, boom, I'm 180 out of phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially if you're on axis, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes, on axis. Um, and so, you know, moving, moving your, moving your ears and your measurement, uh, microphone through the entirety of the array will, is a good way to, to help you, uh, see that without having to, you know, go up in a lift.
1: I think this is a great way to wrap up this conversation because it goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is, uh, I heard a problem with my ears. I investigated with the analyzer, uh, and that helped me, you know, basically support what I, I thought I was hearing, figure out the problem and solve it. Yes, absolutely. I wondered if you would tell us about maybe the biggest or maybe most painful mistake that you've made on the job and what happened after.
0: I was in a situation where I was working in uh, a show where the band was very, it was seated very close to the audience, um, which happens more often than you care to think about. The director really, really, really liked to sit, uh, closer to the band so that she could talk to the music director. And she kept on coming over to me and saying, you know, we need to put more speakers here so that I can hear the actors better. Yeah, and more speakers. More speakers, and and I was trying to explain to her. I, I said, you know, more speakers aren't aren't going to uh, aren't going to solve this issue. We need to block out. We need to block out the band, essentially, and and she kept, you know, all throughout the process. Said, we need more speakers here. We need more speakers here, and I kept on trying to 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 reason with her, and I didn't do it. I didn't put up more speakers there. I did increase the volume of the vocals to that particular section where she liked to sit, but she kept on wanting more speakers. And I think, and I never worked there again. I never worked in that theater again. Um, even though I was told that I was given accolades for, for the work that I had done, I never worked in that theater again. And sure. I think that the biggest takeaway from that was I just should have put more speakers there. Even you know, if you didn't turn them on. Even if you don't turn them <laughs> on. Um, Give the client what they want. Is exactly. That they want? And that is, that is the biggest thing is that all day long, you can argue that stuff with people. But when the people who sign your checks say, this is what I want, if you, at first you try and have a meaningful dialogue about it and it just comes down to the fact that, that, that they want what they want. If they're signing your checks and you value working in that environment, then just do what they want. And it's as it's as as much a psychological uh, issue as it is a as it is a you know an audio issue, and always make sure that wherever the producers or director are hanging out underneath the balcony, they can hear everything. Yeah, the money seat.
1: <laughs> Philip, I know you probably have a lot of stuff in your uh, work bag. Um, are there a couple of maybe unique or interesting pieces that you can share with us that you take with you to you know installations calibrations?
0: I think one of the most important things that are, that, that is always with me is a headlamp. Being able to see in the dark is really crucial, uh, especially without using your hands. Uh, so a headlamp is, is key amongst my, my arsenal. Ear protection, hearing protection is absolutely essential. Um, even if you can't afford, you know, to go get custom molds and all that stuff, uh, being able to protect your hearing is uh, is paramount if you wanna if you wanna work and stay in this industry at any given point.
1: What is one book that has been immensely helpful to you? Uh, Bob McCarthy, sound system Des- <laughs> design and alignment. Wait, sorry, I've heard that's a good one. You think I should check it out? So if you uh, if you wanna to go to high
0: school, uh, you can check out uh, the Yamaha sound reinforcement handbook. Uh, if you, uh, if you want to go to, uh, to college and get a master and college and master's degree, you know, check out Bob's book every time I'm, I'm now four times through it. And every time I read it, I'd get another aha. Philip, where's the best place for people to follow your work? Drop me uh, an email at uh, philip at a-u-r-t-i-s-t dot com. Yes, it's dumb. A-u-r-t-i-s-t dot com. P-H-I-L-L-I-P. Um, ah, and... oh, yeah, it was so, <laughs>
1: so cool when, when, yeah, when I had that stupid idea. Well, Philip, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. Thank you, sir. Sound Design. <laughs> I wanna thank Housefrau and R-Round for the music of today's episode. If you wanna find more of their music, you can do that at Hausfrau.me and soundcloud.com slash R-Round. That's R-R-O-U-N-D. Sound Design Live is supported by Ross, Learn Stage Lighting, John, Scott, Pedro, Rob, Martin, Roadie Free Radio, Joel, Ellis, Jim, Sinqui, Terry, Nicholas, Kuba, Chris, DC Sound Op, and Dave. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive.